NFL fans, welcome to another episode of Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We had a really uh, another exciting week in NFL action. Week three just about wrapped up. We still have the Monday uh, night game. That is, if you're listening on Monday, we still have the the game uh, tonight between the 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 Broncos and Raiders. But other than that, every other team has played their third game. It's starting to make a little bit more sense for who's who's good and who's not but uh in some cases it's not making as much sense so uh we're gonna dive into that i actually got to watch quite a few games this weekend uh i can't really reveal how because uh maybe some of them aren't completely legal but uh been watching some games on my laptop i got games that i obviously have on the tv DVR'd a couple of games to watch later, so I got to see parts of many games this week, and I'm going to try and hit upon all the games that I got to see at least uh, a quarter of, so that, that'll that be really cool. Uh, we're going to start off with uh, the, the AFC teams that are defeating, the, that, de- that defeated the NFC teams this week. I think it was a big statement for AFC teams. That's the Bengals, Dolphins, and Colts. That'll, we'll cover them in our first segment. Second segment will be our, uh, <laughs> we're going to call it our 0-3 and 3-0 segment. So we're going we're gonna to cover, I mean, there's quite a few teams that are 3-0 and quite a few that are 0-3, but some teams have been there in the past, such as the New England Patriots. They are 3-0. and um, And some teams have been there in the past at 0-3, such as maybe the Vikings. Uh, maybe it's been a couple of years, but they've been a team that hasn't exactly been uh, one of the powerhouses in the NFL the last couple of years but uh, there are three there are two teams that are I would say that are surprising that they're three and0 and then two other teams that it's surprising that they're 0 and three so we'll cover uh, those teams in the second segment and then in our third segment like always fourth and long segment we'll go over the Trent Richardson trade and the Cleveland Browns situation. Despite the trade, they won on Sunday, defeating the Vikings, sending them to 0-3. And we'll also discuss the rookie quarterback battle from Sunday, Geno Smith and E.J. Manuel. If these teams were supposed to be any good, I guess they probably wouldn't have these quarterbacks because they wouldn't have drafted them so high last last season. But uh, if, if these teams were supposed to be any good, I think this would have been a marquee matchup. Uh, with the two rookies going at it for the first time, and these two franchises hoping that Manuel and Smith will be playing each other a lot. That would mean that they're both become franchise quarterbacks. And our last statement will have to do with the Ravens' defense getting it done once again uh, against the Houston Texans on Sunday, defeating them. But So let's start off with those AFC teams. Now, uh, not every single... AFC team that played an NFC team won on Sunday. We'll actually get to the Sunday night match between the Bears and Steelers a little bit later. The Bears winning that one by 17 points. This got to be one of our first shows where we haven't led with the Sunday night game. And I just, I, I wasn't planning on leading it, leading with it before uh, the game started. And uh, as as the game went on, it got a little bit interesting there in the fourth quarter, but still not worthy to lead with. I think the leading story for me in this the after this Sunday, Bengals and Dolphins pulling out huge statement wins. The Bengals defeating the Packers thirty four to thirty, and the Dolphins. Defeating the Falcons 27 to 23. Both teams had to come back and get the victory. They were both home as well. So that, I don't want to say takes away from what they did. I, it, I guess it would have been more impressive if it was on the road, but still, uh, I think not only is it important for these teams to get wins and uh, continue to. Um, continue to get better and improve that record, obviously. Actually, we could have thrown the Dolphins in the, into the 3-0 and segment. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're going to talk about them right now instead. 
uh, it's important to, to keep winning, but I think a lot of people still have their doubts about this team. I, for one, have my doubts about the Bengals. I, I thought the Dolphins would be in that game with the Falcons. Not that I thought they were going to win by any means. I'm not saying that I would have picked the Dolphins to win. But I did think that the Dolphins would be in that game. I've been impressed by the, the way the Dolphins have played the first two, two weeks. The Bengals, however, I didn't see them at all against the Bears week one. That was a game that they were winning. They looked good. They ended up blowing it. And the Bears, I think you have to give credit to, they're 3-0. and They came back and won that game, took it from the Bengals, who... I think if you were a Bengals fan, would have you would say that they blow they, that they blew that game with a lot of mistakes late later on in the third and fourth quarter against the Steelers. Yeah, that was an impressive win. It was a statement win in its own right, defeating a division opponent on Monday Night Football, an opponent that almost always beats you in your house in Cincinnati. That's a team that you have to beat this season if you're going to win the division. It was a good win, but it wasn't like a solid win. Like Andy Dalton did not play well in that game. He he just wasn't on. He he was very inaccurate. Um, I I'm not sure what the final uh, his final completion percentage was or anything in that Monday night game, but just wasn't on in that game. So I think. As a result, it was kind of a kind of a like a blah. It wasn't it wasn't like a statement, you know, that the Bengals made like we're for real. Plus, the Steelers are now 0 3. So, yeah, it's it's good to defeat to defeat your rival and a team that's always been a thorn in your side, but this season the Steelers, as of right now, are bad. I'm not even going to say they're not good. I'm going to say they're bad. Uh, anybody, I think, would, would say that they are. So this win against the Packers, a team that, although they're 1-2 and two now, they're a team that has, have lost two tough row games now to start the season. First one in San Francisco and then uh, the, this one in Cincinnati. Two teams that were in the playoffs last year. To start the season, the Packers had, when you look at the schedule, they had a tough schedule. Starting off the season in San Francisco. Second year in a row they did that. And then home against Washington. And then on the road against Cincinnati. Those are three teams that were in the, in the playoffs. Two of them won the division. I even, you kind of forget already that Washington won that division last year because they played so bad this season. And then uh, g- going forward for Green Bay, you have a game against Detroit. Well, they have their bye next week and a game against Detroit and then at Baltimore. So it doesn't get that much easier. I know Detroit wasn't that good last year, but they look improved this season. And then you're playing the Super Bowl champs. So a tough beginning to the to Green Bay. It's kind of understandable that they're one and two. I think they'll get it on. They'll they'll get it on track. They've been in each game. They've played very well. At least, especially on offense, they've played well. A couple of mistakes in this game against Cincinnati, but a huge huge win for for the Bengals. They jumped out in front to start this game, 14-0, less than six minutes into the game. They got a turnover inside the five-yard line after scoring a touchdown, and uh, then both running backs scored on those, those touchdowns. Giovanni Bernard, the rookie, he, well, we, we, we didn't get to talk about the Monday night game last week because of because um, it was after the, the last show, so the Bengals have actually played twice since our last episode. Bernard has scored three times since our last episode. He only scored once on Sunday, but two times on Monday night. He's a threat out of the backfield and is starting to get a lot more touches um, receiving and running the ball. Had 10 carries, 50 yards, very nice average, uh, and scored a touchdown and then had four catches for another 50 yards, just short of 50 yards, 49 yards. So a 100-yard day. 99-yard day, overall 15 touches. That's that's exactly what the Bengals need out of the rookie to start the season. But eventually he's going to take over as the starter ahead of Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis as soon as Bernard gets 
all the blocking schemes down and the playbook down. He is going to be the starter. He's a very talented guy. But Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, still good in his own right. He scored a touchdown, put the Bengals up 14 nothing, And then uh, the, the Bengals offense went away. Had four straight possessions in the second quarter where they turned the ball over. And you kind of were, th- I was thinking, all right, same old Bengals. They'll make a mistake and they'll lose this game. They fell behind 30-14 to 14. after being up 14-0. The Packers came back and scored the next 30 points. And uh, Eddie Lacy did not play in this game. James Starks started again, but he got knocked out with an injury. And the Packers had to go with third string running back, Jonathan Franklin, who, to be honest, looked even better than Starks did. Eddie Lacy looked okay in the first game, game and a half. I guess he got knocked out early in the in the first, second game. James Starks came out and got 100 yards. The first time the Packers had a 100-yard rusher in like three years. And then the following week, he gets knocked out. Jonathan Franklin comes in, gets 100 yards. So now the Packers have had two straight games of a 100-yard rusher, and they were two different running backs. Oh, and by the way, they didn't start the game. <laughs> Go figure, right? So Jonathan Franklin looked really good. He did lose a fumble late in the game, which was actually really costly. But 13 carries for him, 103 yards and a touchdown. He also had a 51-yard run. So a good day for Packer running backs. That's going to be key for their offense to get a running game going. Honestly, it kept them in this game. But the next 30 points, as I said... Some of them off mistakes from the Bengals. Well, um, the next 30 points went to the Packers. And I think at some point in the second, second quarter, if you're Mike Zimmer and the Bengals defense, you're like, come on, man. We're playing one of the best offenses in the league. We're holding our own. And we're losing. Because you guys continue to cough up the ball. Now... Uh, they didn't hold their own all that much. I mean, the Packers did get 400 yards of offense, but only 217 yards through the air. So they held Aaron Rodgers in check, and they also got two interceptions. So as we went along in the second half and, and later on in the second half, closer to the fourth quarter and in the fourth quarter, the Bengals were the team that came back down by 16 points, scored a touchdown, to A.J. Green, 20-yard pass with 3.50 left in the third quarter to close it within nine. Then the Bengals scored another touchdown with about 10 minutes left to close it within three. The Packers, I think they knew that they had to to score again because the Bengals' offense at that point were really clicking. So they tried to go for it on a fourth and one, and... Jonathan Franklin, that was when he fumbled. And Terrence Newman picked it up for the Bengals. 58-yard fumble return. Actually, one of their other defenders tried to pick it up and couldn't because he was getting tackled. And then Newman came in and picked it up and ran it in for the score. It was actually a little bit of controversy. Uh, they, they were wondering whether he would be able to advance that for a touchdown because uh, the other defender actually picked up the ball and then he fumbled it. But uh, Newman... Uh, well, the rule is a, 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 the defense can advance a fumble out um, as long as it's not inside the the two-minute warning. I believe that's the rule, inside of two minutes. The offense, I believe the rule is you, the offense cannot advance on a, uh, cannot advance on a fumble inside the fourth quarter. I think I have that right. Maybe it's just inside the two minutes for the offense. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but they did have that controversy, and they got it correct. It it, um, it it should have been a touchdown for the Bengals, as it was. And But the, the key point on this play is the Packers were not even supposed to have to go for it on fourth down. The they On third and long... Aaron Rodgers completed a pass to Randall Cobb, and and he reached out and got the first down, but the Bengals challenged it 
Turned out his knee and his leg were actually down before Cobb out or stretched out to get that first down. So it's fourth and inches, and that's when they had to go for it on fourth down and didn't get it. So a huge challenge from Marvin Lewis to win the game. The Packers still had another chance to go down the field, and again, the Bengals stoned Green Bay on fourth down, tipping uh, a pass from Aaron Rodgers. So overall, really impressive day from the Bengals. The, uh, Aaron Rodgers threw two interceptions for the first time, I believe, in like 47 games or something like that. He he did not have a particularly good game after ripping apart the Redskins last week. Rodgers, one touchdown, two interceptions, 244 yards. Andy Dalton, impressive game. Not necessarily on the stat sheet, 235 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. But he won a game where his team was down by 16 points in the second half, and he defeated a really good offensive team in a shootout. That was what I didn't think Andy Dalton could do. I didn't think when you put Andy Dalton against Aaron Rodgers, I really didn't think that Dalton would come out on top and outplay him. But give credit to the Bengals' defense for for making Rodgers make those mistakes, but Dalton really did outplay Aaron Rodgers in this game. And um, one thing that I want to say about the Bengals going forward, they, to me, are as talented as any team in the AFC that I've seen so far. I haven't seen all the teams. I think I, I can say that I've seen all the good teams. But maybe just the Broncos would be the only team that I would say in the AFC that are that are more talented than the Bengals. But overall... Top to bottom, offense, defense, quarterback, running back, wide receivers, and your defense. Offensive line and then included in that as well. The Bengals are one of the top two, we'll say top three, top three most talented teams in the AFC. If they lose a game, it's going to be because they made mistakes. And I know that's true for a lot of teams every single week in the NFL. But the Bengals are talented enough that it's going to be very rare this season that a team outplays them. When they lose, it's going to be because they make mistakes making penalties, turning the ball over, whatever. Typical Bengal things that they've done in the past. The question for me going forward, are they going to break that mold? Are they going to actually play solid fundamental football? And they have so far. And you know what? To be honest, they really have the last couple of seasons. They've made the playoffs the last two years. But I I still think maybe because the Ravens and Steelers have still been very – effective, um, good teams the last couple of years that the Bengals kind of fall by the wayside. Well, the Steelers have fallen off the map. Baltimore is still good, but not quite as good. This is Cincinnati's division. It's their division to take. It's their division to lose, to be honest. I think on paper, the Bengals are more talented than Baltimore. And when they end up playing each other, Cincinnati is going to have... they're, They're a more talented team Whether they'll win or not, I don't know. But if Cincinnati loses games this season, it's going to be because of themselves, beating themselves. Opponents will very rarely beat the Bengals this year. The Bengals will only lose games if they defeat themselves. So I ran a little long with the Bengals game, but it was a really exciting game. It was the first time an opponent, that uh, a team that won the game, Led at one point by 14 and then overcame a 16-point deficit. The first time that's ever happened in the NFL. I think that just kind of speaks to how crazy the game was on uh, swings 14 and 30 and then another 20-point swing for the Bengals. So, But I do want to touch upon hit, hit upon um, the, the Miami win. Another statement win, I'd say. Maybe uh, I don't think as many people saw this one. This was a, f- a 4 o'clock game. Actually, it was an early 4 o'clock game. It actually started at 4.05. Most of the games uh, at 4 o'clock started at 4.25. But this was one of the earlier ones. 
Dolphins taking on the Falcons, kind of a, a southern, I don't want to say a rivalry, but you know, two teams that are pretty close to each other in distance. I guess if the Dol- when the Dolphins play the Buccaneers this season, that'll be a little bit more of a rivalry than this. But still, two southern states, two southern teams going at it. It looked like Atlanta pretty much controlled most of the first half. I mean, they led throughout the game. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, they led the entire way except when uh, Brian Hartline caught a touchdown pass late in the third quarter to tie it at 20. But then uh, Atlanta took the lead again early in the fourth, 23-20. Miami's first lead was with 30 seconds left in the game when they took the lead for good, 27-23, and that was the final score. So a really big win for Miami, I know I've said that already, but I really can't overstate that. That um, this Miami is a team that's that's young. They have Ryan Tannehill in their second season. I always forget about Tannehill. You know, Tannehill was in that draft with Andrew Luck and RG three, and Brandon Whedon gets mentioned more than Ryan Tannehill, to be honest. And Colin Kaepernick. Um, actually, no, I'm sorry. Colin Kaepernick was in the it was, was in the draft before. Um, so just. Kind of forgot the forgotten guy though in in that uh, in that draft, and he was t- taken in the top ten. He's playing very well so far this season. He's got more weapons with Mike Wallace. Um, still likes throwing to Brian Hartline. He's the one that caught the touchdown on Sunday, and they have a running game as well, a pretty good one with Lamar Miller and Daniel Thomas kind of split in time. Lamar Miller went for the long run of forty nine yards. Only had eight carries, actually, so the the Dolphins throwing a lot more than they're running. But Miller had the long run of 49 yards, but Thomas ended up getting the short yardage touchdown for them. Good, good, just it was just a good, solid win from Miami, and I think this win over Atlanta proves that they are for real. Atlanta kind of have to go back to the drawing board at this point. Uh, Now, one and two. The loss to New Orleans week one wasn't that alarming. I think New Orleans is a team that, uh, you know, is I, I think they're the best team in the division, to be honest. I think they're going to be better than Atlanta this season, at least record-wise. But uh, <laughs> Atlanta losing this game now. I know Miami, a good team, but one and two, and then you have New England next week. Boy, I mean... Starting the season one and three is not exactly what Tony Gonzalez came back for. So, geez, uh, Atlanta's got to get it on track quickly. Matt Ryan had a, I mean, a pretty good game. Only threw for 231 yards, but had a touchdown and one interception. No Steven Jackson in this game, but uh, Jaquiz Rogers and Jason Snelling filled in very nicely, combined for about 120 yards rushing. So that that was pretty solid and. Um, they, it was it was a nice game from them, splitting the carries. Uh, Rodgers, 18 carries, Snelling, 11. So overall, it was a pretty good game running the ball. Again, it was just Atlanta led this game most of the way, and they led they led throughout when I watched it. <laughs> I, I saw the second half, the second quarter, and some of the third quarter. I guess most of the third quarter. Uh, of this game, I saw Brian Hartline's touchdown to tie it. That's really the last play I saw. I didn't get to see the fourth quarter, uh, so I can't really say how, you know what Atlanta did wrong to lose the game. But um, to me, just the, the overall story is just Miami getting a big win and uh, advancing to three and zero, keeping pace with the Patriots. I think that's key. This maybe we we talked about in preseason. How New England is just going to win this division by default. Maybe they won't. I know uh, New England ha- still has a good team. They have Robert Ronkowski coming back soon. So they're going to get that passing game going. Now, Kemble Tompkins caught two touchdowns. Uh, the rookie the, That's the rookie catching two touchdowns, his first two of his career on Sunday. So they're going to get that passing game under control. But maybe the Dolphins are going to be uh, actually competing. Um, for that division in the AFC East and perhaps knock New England off that pedestal this season. Now, the last thing I want to discuss before heading to break, another AFC team defeating an NFC team, a good NFC team, they're supposed to be good, 
The Indianapolis Colts went into San Francisco and defeated and defeated the 49ers 27 to 7. Uh I don't know where to begin with this one. Uh I I just want to say I didn't group them in completely with the Bengals and Dolphins at the start of the show because it's not I mean this this win is a big surprise but it is not a statement win I would say for the Colts I mean the Colts were in the playoffs last year I know the Bengals were too but the Bengals and Dolphins just have more to prove than the Colts I think overall as a franchise the Colts have been to the Super Bowls and won them lately so little less to prove, once again, than the Dolphins and Bengals. But let's start with the Colts, the positives for them. I had a really great game running the, running the ball. Uh, surprising against the 49ers, and we'll get to why they can't stop the run in a minute. But a great game from the Colts. They, uh, you know, many people thought they wouldn't be able to run the ball because uh, Ahmad Bradshaw, over the hill, whatever, uh, Trent Richardson, um, not going to be able to step in in a couple of days, knowing the the and know the playbook and be effective. Well, Richardson wasn't 100 percent effective. I mean, he had 13 carries, 35 yards, but he had a touchdown on a goal line uh, situation. Ahmad Bradshaw running very hard. I bet the Giants wish they had this guy back. 19 carries, 95 yards, and a touchdown. So nearly 100 yards. He had over 100 yards of total offense on the day, and on his uh, 20. 22 touches so he was a focal point of the offense and I think I don't think Bradshaw and Richardson are going to split carries but if they're going to give over 10 10 uh, touches 10 uh, rushes to two backs a game and they can have this kind of game rushing you know obviously they're not going to average 180 yards on the ground which is what they got on Sunday but uh it the Colts are going to be a really, really good team. And as Andrew Luck continues to v- develop, you have to for- you can't forget that Luck is still a developing quarterback. He's only in his second year. But you put pieces like Ahmad Bradshaw, Trent Richardson, Reggie Wayne, and a decent defense around him, he's going to win a lot, a lot of games. Uh, so I'm really excited about the Colts going forward. I think they're one of the, the the best teams in the AFC now. We talked about how the Bengals are going to be one of the best AFC teams. Uh, the Broncos are already there. Still have the Patriots. Now I think you can group in the Colts. We'll talk about the Texans a little later who are the defending division champs. But I think it's going to be the Colts winning that division, which I did not uh, predict in the preseason. Uh, but I just I just like the way the Colts look so far. And... Um, what what they what they did with that trade i think that immediately made them better san francisco i think this this game tells a little bit more about them than it does the colts perhaps um not again not able to stop the run i think is the big story in this one you could look at the box score and say well san francisco didn't do a good job running the running the ball either well they ran the ball 23 times for 115 yards. That's an average of five yards a pop. That's pretty good. And considering they only had 50 yards on or 50 plays run on offense, 23 of them were rushes. That's pretty balanced, especially for a team that was down by 20 points in the fourth quarter. Now I know that that touchdown was late. I guess two of the touchdowns were late. It was 13-7 for most of the game. Two two touchdowns for the Colts came in the last five minutes of the game. But but still, um, it was a very balanced day for San Francisco. I, I would like to see Frank Gore get more touches. I mean, he only had 11 carries and two catches out of the backfield. Uh, went over 100 yards of total offense. Did not get a touchdown. Maybe it's just because I have him on my fantasy team. I'd like him to touch the ball a little more. But um, uh, Colin Kaepernick, an ineffective game. 150 yards throwing the ball. Completed less than 50% of his passes. Did not throw a touchdown and threw an interception. Was sacked three times. That's uh, now two straight bad games for Kaepernick. I can't. I, I hate to say it, but I told you so. I told you this was Kaepernick's 13th start as an NFL quarterback. He hasn't even played 16 games yet. <laughs> he hasn't even played a full regular season 
even counting the playoff games last year. This guy is going to have his struggles. I'm not saying that he's not going to be a good quarterback. I, I, I just think that he's going to struggle. And it's tough. It's tough for 49er fans and um, even other fans uh, to see Alex Smith and the success that Kansas City's having. We'll get to that in a minute in the next segment. And to see the 49ers and Colin Kaepernick struggling. Uh, it's it's got to be tough for 49er fans and for, for fans that don't like the 49ers or don't like Colin Kaepernick or, or, or Alex Smith fans. Um, they're, they're relishing in this. They, they have to be that the 49ers and Colin Kaepernick are struggling. But uh, I think this says, as I said, it says more about the 49ers than the Colts. I do think it says something about the 49ers because they were in the Super Bowl last year. And after the first game, you kind of thought, well, uh, San Francisco's not going to have a Super Bowl hangover. <laughs> well, I'm not, so sh- I'm not so sure now. Can anybody say Super Bowl hangover for the 49ers? Uh, I'd love to hear what you, th- what you listeners think about this. Uh, you can tweet at me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B, or send me an email, HolcombMDavid at gmail.com. Are the 49ers suffering from a Super Bowl hangover? And not uh, not only could they be suffering from that, well, the the, the week before the game, uh, last week, their star defensive player, their linebacker, Alden Smith, was involved in a DUI uh, uh, situation where he uh, crashed his truck. Um, just really unfortunate for Alden Smith, um, and it, it was indeed a DUI, and... Um, Jim Harbaugh didn't do anything about it. He let him play. And uh, that's... We kind of, I, I guess, talked about it in the preseason with um, the, the, uh, the, the Broncos. Kind of set a very dangerous precedent. And I guess this is kind of the nature of the NFL. It's the same in college. You'd rather win. Winning is more important. But is he setting a very dangerous precedent that could send his team... You know, um, I don't want to overstate it, but perhaps hurt his team further down the road, just sending the wrong message to his players, Jim Harbaugh, that is, that they can get away with stuff like this, getting arrested for DUIs and being stupid. It's not exactly the, the thing that you want your Super Bowl contending team to be doing. And those players to be doing. I know it happens. I know the Broncos. It happened with them. I guess it didn't happen with their players. It happened with their front office. But it happens with with certain teams a lot. Or it just happens in the NFL a lot. So it's not like the 49ers are immune to this. Or above this. But I, I guess I just thought that Jim Harbaugh ran a little bit tougher ship. And... Uh, We'll see in the next couple of weeks. They're actually they have a short week this week, so it could be interesting on Thursday night against the Rams. But I am I'm looking forward to that game, and I'm looking forward to continuing to discuss the 49ers, a team that, quite honestly, the last two seasons have has been the NFL's best team, not able to win the Super Bowl, but they've been on paper, in my opinion, the NFL's best team the last two years, and uh, very quickly now. They look very, very vulnerable in more than one way. We're going to take a break, and then we'll come back with that 3-0 and 0-3 segment. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We're going to try a, a new segment here on the show right now, uh, 3-0 and 0-3. So we're going <laughs> to go through. There are more teams that are 3-0 and 0-3 than I'm going to mention, just so you know. I'm not going to get to all the teams. But I'm going to, uh, I guess, pick. I, I've picked four teams, two for each category. Uh, most of them, I would say, are surprises. I'd say all of them are surprises in each category, neither team, I don't think, B 
people thought the two teams would be 0-3 or the other two teams would be 3-0. and So um, definitely surprises to me. Let's start with 3-0. and The Chicago Bears are 3-0. and I know uh, we have a loyal listener, Tom Pollan, out in Chicago. I know he's got to be really excited about the start. Uh, and his team really beat up on my team last night. Uh, yeah, I've... How many episodes of this show have we done now? Maybe 50? I'm finally admitting it. I am, uh, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, so not a good start to the year so far. But the Bears with Mark Tressum, the Canadian coach, eh? <laughs> the, uh, just, I just thought it was really strange that they hired Tressum. I mean, I never heard of him before. Uh, I see that his pedigree obviously uh, makes him worthy of the job, and it was very extensive interviewing process that Al Michaels and uh, Chris Collinsworth explained last night in the the blowout. Um, so obviously the right man for the job. He, he's got Jay Cutler. Uh, he's got him. But just it seems like with a renewed confidence uh, and throwing the ball much better than he did last year. He's getting the ball out quicker. It's helping that offensive line that features two rookies. And quite honestly... The two rookies looked pretty outstanding last night against a, a team like Pittsburgh that's trying to blitz a lot with Dick LeBeau. He wanted to test those rookie offensive linemen, and pretty much, for the most part, I'd say they passed the test. There was some, there was some pressure on Cutler later in the game, but for the most part, uh, the Bears' offensive line, I mean, we can at least say at this point that it's much improved than it was last year. Um, so that is a big deal. Tressum... Like, I, I, I think what he said to Collinsworth hit, hit the nail right on the head. This was a good team with Lovey Smith. They have good players. They have the right personnel. He's just—Trust him is just installing his, his packages and his uh, playbook. And the Bears are perfect for it. We'll see. I mean, it's the, it is—of the four teams that I'm going to mention in this segment, I think the team that's least surprising is Chicago. They always start season strong. I mean, last year they were seven and one, and I was ready to put them in the Super Bowl. Not quite—I'm exaggerating a little, but I—I I mean, I had them as getting a bye halfway through the year. A lot of people did. So they still have to prove that they can do it for a whole 16, 16 games, and they're in a pretty tough division. I know Minnesota's zero and three, but they're not really an zero and three team. Uh, Green Bay one and two—they're not a one and two team. Detroit is two and one, so uh, it's, it's going to be a very interesting NFC North this season. I think uh, the Packers and Bears could both make the playoffs, but I think the Lions are going to make some noise too. So it's going to be quite interesting there. Let's go to zero and three. Let's stay with Sunday night. Pittsburgh Steelers are zero and three for the first time since two thousand. First time that they're. Uh, three games below 500 under Mike Tomlin. Uh, it's the worst start that Mike Tomlin's ever had to a season unless uh, he somehow wins the next six games. The Steelers have been 6-3 and three every single year Mike Tomlin has been coached since 2007. Uh, last year, they were um, they started the season 2-3. and three. So didn't uh, get off to a great start, but ended up winning the next four games to get out to six and three before uh, falling off late in the season and finishing eight and eight. Every single year before last year, the Steelers under Mike Tomlin had started the season six and two. So halfway through the season, they were six and two every single year. Not the case last year, and it's not going to be the case this year. Starting zero and three, and I seriously doubt that they'll start the season. Six and three. I don't think they're going to win their next six games. Um, for the Steelers, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot wrong with the team. Uh, I got to sum it up in about two minutes. No running game still. It was a little better. Jonathan Dwyer had some some nice runs against the Bears. But it's the same story with the turnovers. You give the Bears five turnovers, you're not going to win. Like Chris Collinsworth said the offense basically pushed on Sunday. They scored 23 points and they allowed 23 points on turnovers, 14 of which were just returns for the defense. The uh, the Chicago Bears defense scored two touchdowns. It, it's like 
the Steelers' offense can't even outscore the other team's defense. It just seems like nothing is going wrong, or nothing is going right for the team. Everything can go wrong. Offensive line problems, I mean, everybody knows about that. We don't need to continue to discuss it. Running back issues, a little better again, but it's still there. But Big Ben, Big Ben accounted for three of the turnovers. He's got to take care of the ball. I know that your your key, I'm talking to Big Ben right now, I know his key point or um, his skill set is to run around and scramble, but you can't lose the ball. You cannot lose the ball like that multiple times in a game. He lost it three times. Uh, three fumbles, lost two, tur- two of them turned into turnovers, and then added an interception onto that. So it seems like Big Ben's good for an interception every game, and then when he's fumbling too, it's hard for Pittsburgh to win. The next team, the Kansas City Chiefs, 3-0. and Who would have thought? <laughs> I guess a lot of people actually thought that uh, Kansas City was going to be a lot better this year. Most people thought that they would be better um, and, a lot, and some people had them competing out there in the AFC West. I did not. I had them actually uh, winning the AFC West last year, so I was a year ahead on my prediction. Uh, but 3-0 and to start this season. Again, long way to go, but already have more wins than last year. Two wins all of, uh, all, in all of 2012 for Kansas City. I think for them, exact opposite of the Steelers, they're taking care of the ball. Alex Smith doesn't turn it over. Ever. I mean, he's not one of the more proficient passers in the league. He's not going to throw up Eli Manning, even Big Ben, Tom Brady numbers. But on the flip side, he doesn't turn the ball over like Eli or Big Ben has done in the first three games. Zero times. So when you have something like that going for you and your defense is much improved, they scored a touchdown on defense as well like Chicago did. They're, 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 they're having a great start to their season. You combine that with one of the best home field advantages in the league. I'm talking like almost Seattle Seahawks level. It'll probably the Seahawks home field advantage of the AFC. It's a tough place to play. They could win seven or eight games at home. Who knows what they could do uh, going forward. I, don't think, I still don't think that they're going to take the division from Denver. I guess it might come down to those two Denver games and the Denver game that's going to be in Kansas City. But uh, it's going to be an interesting race out there. And, you know, there are – after – in the preseason, we were trying to pick teams to make the playoffs from the AFC. And a lot of these teams didn't really know how good they were going to be. But there are some good teams in the AFC. We'll we'll see where it goes from here, but – Teams like the Chiefs and Dolphins, who haven't competed for a long time, are 3-0. and You combine that with teams like the Patriots, the Broncos, who are still good, and then you throw in the Bengals and Ravens and Colts, and don't forget about the Texans. It's going to be a very interesting AFC, a lot more interesting and a lot more competitive than I originally thought. And the last team, the New York Giants, 0-3. I really can't believe that the Giants are 0-3 and the Steelers, but the Giants, very similar to the Steelers in the sense that they're not taking care of the ball. They're not getting a running game going. Uh, They're just not efficient on offense, can't take care of the ball, and don't have a pass rush, which leads to zero turnovers, on defense, although the Giants on Sunday, the, the weird thing was against the Panthers, they got turnovers. Uh, it wasn't until the second half that they turned the ball over and they ended up losing the turnover battle, uh, three to two. But in the first half, they got good field position. They were taking care of the ball. Eli did not throw an interception in the first half, and they still could not score, and they were still losing seventeen nothing. Now, I, I got to give Carolina a lot of credit. They played very well, especially that secondary that seemed like players from off the street were playing. Got to give credit to them for playing so well. And um, I think a lot of the, they got seven sacks on Eli Manning. A lot of those sacks were coverage sacks, not pressure coming from uh, you know multiple guys from blitzes, but just four guys being rushed 
and nobody opened downfield for the Giants, which is surprising because of their receiving core. And uh, Eli Manning just eating the ball because he was trying not to throw an interception this week. He threw four last week. So as a result, he's taken more sacks. But I, I just think the Giants in particular not doing the little things that matter in winning ball games. And you just kind of knew that after the Giants got a turnover, they were inside the, I think, the 20-yard line of Carolina. They got pushed backwards on that drive. And then Lawrence Tynes misses a pretty easy field goal, maybe a 40-yarder around there. You knew it was just not going to be the Giants' day. That was, that was in the first quarter, I believe, and, or, or early second. It was a chance for the Giants to get back into the game. Carolina gave them chances to get into this game, and the Giants couldn't capitalize. They just couldn't get it done. 0-3 for New York. They're tied for last with Washington, who's also 0-3. It's going to be an up-and-down division. I don't think we can ride off the Giants already. But, man, are they in a hole. Let's take another break, and then we'll come back with our fourth and long segment. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We've already ran over 45 minutes for the episode, uh, so we're going to try and go quickly through our fourth and long segment. I've got three statements. I'm going to say uh, a statement, either agree and go for it on fourth and long, or disagree and punt it away. On Wednesday of this past week, uh, I mean, normally we don't talk about news that happened during the week, during the season anyway. We... we uh, because we only have time to, to do one episode a week, I really only have time for one episode a week. Um, we really just recap games and talk about uh, you know game stories and how each team played. But this news is just too big to ignore, even though it's five or six days old. So I got to put my take on it. Trenton Richardson being traded to the Indianapolis Colts. We already talked about him a little bit and how he played on Sunday against the 49ers. Really big game for him and the Colts, like I said. Uh, but let's talk about the Browns' perspective. Haven't talked about Cleveland much on the show, so this is a good chance to talk about them this week. They beat the Minnesota Vikings on uh, on uh, Sunday on a last-second drive. The final score of that game was 31-27. Just had to double-check that score. Uh, but, but Cleveland, uh, their quarter, um, their tight end. Jordan Cameron came up with some big catches, uh, caught three touchdowns in the game, uh, and the the first start for Brian Ho- uh, Brian Hoyer <laughs> on uh, if you listen to Football Nation Radio, they just call him Hoyer on that show because they couldn't they didn't even know his first name. Well, you might know his first name now. He had a really good game. Uh, threw three touchdown passes, also threw three interceptions. That was uh, I think a lot to do with. The, the you know very very little running game going on uh, and some pressure getting put on him so he threw up some some bad passes still I mean three interceptions could, could I mean at least two of them I'd say were his fault um, so but still over 300 yards passing three touchdowns for a Browns quarterback with the 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 status of the team right now that's a very good week but I mean back to Trent Richardson I know that the Browns won this week but my statement. Richardson was a it was a bad trade for the Cleveland Browns to trade Trent Richardson to the Indianapolis Colts. I'm all over this, completely agreeing, going for it on fourth down. Horrible trade, awful, terrible. I just you just you gave Indianapolis. Now they have three, two of the top three picks from the 2012 draft. You traded up to get Trent Richardson. You trade up one spot with, ironically, the team that you just played, the Minnesota Vikings, to get Trent Richardson. They weren't going to pick Trent Richardson. They have Adrian Peterson. Even though Peterson was coming back from an ACL injury, it was very, very unlikely that Minnesota Vikings took Trent Richardson number three overall. Still, the Browns, at number four, traded up to get Trent Richardson, gave up draft picks for him, and then later on in the draft, in the first round, they took Brandon Whedon, 
You had two first-round picks two years ago, and you blew it on Brandon Whedon and Trent Richardson, which I don't think is a blown pick. Now, Brandon Whedon, at 27 years old, two years ago, he's now 29, going on 30. I mean, the Browns are already giving up on him because he wasn't an instant hit. Well, surprise, surprise, the 27-year-old rookie quarterback wasn't an instant hit in Cleveland, a team that doesn't have any playmakers besides who? The rookie Trent Richardson, now in his second season. I just don't understand where this franchise is going. I think it's extremely sad that they've already given up on this season, even though, again, they won on Sunday, so it's not quite as bad. The sting isn't as bad. They're 1-2. and two. They're in contention with the AFC North, but I think the Bengals and Ravens are only going to get better as the season goes. We saw that in Week 3. It, it could be a wide-open division, and with Trent Richardson, I would say Cleveland has a chance, especially in a wide-open AFC. But with teams like the Dolphins... And the Chiefs emerging. It, it might be tougher than you think to get a wild card spot in the AFC. And Cincinnati looks like they're the front runners in that division. And Baltimore is pretty good too. So even with Richardson, it would be tough. But just to throw away the season in week two, after week two, it's just a very odd time to trade Richardson. Why didn't they trade him in the offseason? Did they want to see how the team did in the first two games? Is it like a baseball team that waited to the trade deadline to see if they were buyers or sellers? Like, did Cleveland think they were really going to be buyers? I, I, I just don't, don't understand why, if you thought that you were going to give up on this season, why do you trade Richardson in week two? It just Why don't you trade him earlier or wait longer to see how the team do, does and trade him closer to the trade deadline? Week two just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, going forward, in, a, in one way, it does make sense that the GM and the new owner for the Browns now wants their own guys. But uh, for a football standpoint, I, I, again, I realize the GM wants to go down with his own guys. But you now have two draft picks in the first round next year. Indianapolis could go far, so that is not going to be an early pick. It's going to be a bottom half, bottom half, maybe a bottom 12 pick if they make the playoffs, looking like Indianapolis will with Richardson now. So I, I just it's like, well, are they going to pick a quarterback with that pick? Probably not. Well, are you uh, now going to lose on purpose so you get the number one overall pick? Because, I mean, they talked about it on Football Nation Radio just because they traded away Richardson doesn't automatically mean they're the worst team in the league. Like we just saw, they won. They beat Minnesota, and Minnesota's 0-3. Jacksonville is 0-3. I think Jacksonville is the worst team in the league. These teams who, well, Jacksonville needs a quarterback. Minnesota necessarily probably would not draft a quarterback. Um, Jacksonville is going to get Teddy Bridgewater, who Cleveland, as of right now, wants, it seems like. So... It's just like they're not guaranteed to get Bridgewater, even though they trade away Richardson and, and could be very bad this season. They'd have to lose games on purpose, which is never a good idea. I I never, um, never ever support losing on purpose to get a draft pick. It just sets a bad precedence for your franchise. It's not a good idea. Plus, say they get Bridgewater somehow. They, they trade the, the second first-round pick to go up, or, or maybe Bridgewater falls to them, whatever pick they have. You now have another, air quotes, franchise quarterback with no help around him. Yeah, he's probably a little more promising than Brandon Whedon was, a better pick anyway. But wouldn't you want to have Bridgewater with Richardson? Now, who's going to be your running back going forward? Now you have to pick a new running back. And there's no running back right now in college that's better than Trent Richardson. None. It, you, I, I understand Todd DeFreeze made this point. You don't build your franchise around a running back anymore. That's the old way to do it. And I'm sorry to say that I do agree with that. But if you have a solid running back, I mean a guy like Trent Richardson, and he plays at the level that he can play, and then you bring in a, a quarterback, a young quarterback, together. 
You, you, you've seen it in Cincinnati. Andy Dalton and A.J. Green came up together. They make each other better. I think A.J. Green is a better player than Dalton. I think everyone would agree. But Dalton is helped by A.J. Green. You know, when, when other guys came into the league and did well, like uh, a Ben Roethlisberger, he had guys to throw to. He had a good team around him. Eli Manning had a good team around him, not, not to start his career, but eventually they got a team around him. And if Teddy Bridgewater, yes, he's got to be good enough by himself in order to be a franchise quarterback, but you're setting him up for instant failure when you surround him with nobody. I mean, take Blaine Gabbert, for instance. Yeah, I don't think Blaine Gabbert by himself would be a franchise quarterback, even in a good system. You could argue that. But he's set up for immediate failure immediately, right away. He's set up for immediate failure when... He has no one to help him. And yeah, he does have Maurice Jones-Drew. Okay, you could argue that. He does. And it never and it hasn't worked out. But not even to have a guy like Maurice Jones-Drew or Trent Richardson. Think about how worse Blaine Gabbert would be then. And although Teddy Bridgewater might be better than a Blaine Gabbert, I, I don't think he'll be much more productive without a team around him. So I am completely going for it on fourth down when I said that it was a very bad, bad trade for Trent Richardson. But, hey, third place for the Cleveland Browns. They're in front of the Steelers, so I guess they're doing something right. Moving on to uh, the rookie matchup from Sunday between the New York Jets and the Buffalo Bills. The rookie matchup, of course, was the two quarterbacks, Geno Smith, EJ Manuel. This one's not going to be really a... Well, I will make it into a statement. Um, Geno Smith got the better of EJ Manuel on Sunday. So my statement, Geno Smith will have a better rookie season than EJ Manuel. And I'm trying to stay away from, you know, the really, really, really broad statements of, I almost went with Geno Smith will have a better career, but let's stick with rookie season. You know, I've seen E.J. Manuel twice now. I did get to watch a little bit of the Jets and, and Bills on Sunday. I had to go back and finish the game on my DVR. Uh, I, I saw E.J. Manuel against the Patriots week one. I heard about the, the win that he came back, that he brought them back to against the Panthers. I like E.J. Manuel a lot more than Geno Smith at this point. But for the rookie season, I, I guess I got to go with E.J. Manuel. So I guess I got to punt this away. I not even 100% sold on Geno Smith finishing the season. I think Mark Sanchez might have something to say at the end of the year. But maybe if Geno Smith continues to win some games, and uh, I mean, both his wins have been kind of sloppy, but they're wins nonetheless. And if he continues to win games, it's going to be hard to replace Geno Smith with Mark Sanchez again. So... If, if Smith ends up finishing the season, I think the Jets have a better team around Smith. Can't believe I'm saying that. But the Jets' defense is playing very well. And the two top picks that they had, uh, D. Milner and um, Sheldon Richardson, are playing very well. And they got a lot of flack for picking Richardson that high. So Rex Ryan is doing something right as head coach. The Jets are playing very good D. They just got to clean up the offense and the mistakes by Geno Smith, but I like that they're throwing the ball deep. They took their shots. Marty Man, um, Marty Mortingwig took his shots deep and hit twice, and that really won the game for the Jets. They continue to do that, open up the, the offense, allow for some running lanes because they're worried about Smith throwing it deep. I could see Smith having a better rookie season, but at this point in time, I'm still sticking with EJ Manuel and the Bills. I just think it's a better situation for him. Less pressure being out of New York. And uh, I just think he will end up having the better rookie season. And our last statement, I'm going to uh, one of the one of the 1 o'clock games that I watched. I watched several. Um, between This one between the Baltimore Ravens and the Houston Texans. Baltimore, I think everybody was ready to rule them out of playoff contention with that embarrassing loss to the Broncos week one. Well, they bounced back, and Houston, 
they they won on Monday night in comeback fashion. They they came back again last week against Tennessee, so two and zero, but by the skin of their teeth. Houston is not as good as that two and zero record, and Baltimore at two and one. I think that's right on the money. I think they're doing a very good job. They played excellent defense against Houston on um, on Sunday, and their special teams outplayed Houston's as well. They scored both on special teams on punt return, and they also scored on defense. So when when you can do that, Baltimore is going to be very good. Now that offense is pretty bad right now. They can't even get a running game going. I know Ray Rice was out. But Bernard Pierce, a very capable backup, was in and only got 65 yards on 24 carries. So it's not like they didn't try to run or it's not like they didn't um, feed uh, Pierce the ball enough. They fed him the ball. They, the, as a team, Baltimore ran 31 times and still only rushed for 91 yards. Uh, excuse me, 90, 94 yards. So, um Oh, I'm, no, I'm, I got that mixed up. Uh, Houston ran for 94 yards. Baltimore, on 31 carries as a team, got 75 yards rushing. So that's, that's very bad, very poor. I, and Houston has a good rush defense. But still, I think Baltimore has got to impose their will and be able to run the ball even against really tough teams or they're not going to be able to move on offense, which was very true on, on Sunday. But despite not getting many yards on offense... Just 236 total yards, and they were actually outgained by Houston. They won in a blowout, 30-9. to So my statement, Baltimore's defense, we saw the offense last year kind of take over and be that team. The Baltimore's defense and special teams will be the team's strength once again in 2013 and lead them to the playoffs. I think I'm going to go. I'm going to go for it. That last part, lead them to the playoffs. I mean, the, the word's still out on that one. Uh, I've <laughs> When I've talked about the Bengals, I mean, in today's show, I had a lot of praise for the Bengals, so I don't want to go back on what I said about them. And I, I really think Cincinnati is the most talented team. But Baltimore is still the Super Bowl champs. And Baltimore is still going to have something to say about this division at the end of the season. I think it's going to be an up-and-down year in the AFC North. I would have said that all four teams would have been alive, but it really looks like Pittsburgh is not going to be. I, I haven't given up on the Steelers yet. I do think that they could improve and come back. They've, I think they've improved in every game they've played, but five turnovers on Sunday against the Bears was just awful. They have a, they have a big hole to come, climb out of. Baltimore and Cincinnati look like they're going to be competing for that division, and uh, I, I do think that if Baltimore has wants to have any chance of winning that division, that it has to be that defense and special teams that is the star of the, the, the uh, that leads the team to victory most times. Because <clears throat> Joe Flacco, we saw him do it in the playoffs, but he had a lot of help. And honestly, I know he's a Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl winning quarterback, but he can't do it by himself. He, he's lost, he lost Anquan Bolden, he's lost Ed Dixon. And it just now it's Jacoby Jones is out, so it's a rebuilding process for him. He's getting a little bit better with Dallas Clark, although there there were some you know miscues there with routes and such. Torrey Smith looked better in the game against Houston. He had some nice catches. He really had most of the yards for Baltimore on offense, ninety two um, receiving yards, and the team only had two hundred thirty six yards on offense. So much. That that is much better, but again, I do think that Baltimore has got to return to their roots a little bit. They tried, they really tried, especially with the lead. They tried to run out the clock. They just couldn't really do, get much going on the ground. But they're going to continue to try and get yards on the ground, play defense, and play very well on special teams. That, to me, is still Baltimore's way of winning games, and and it's kind of a little bit refreshing that they're going to. I I believe will return to that way of playing. Uh, outs, uh, they'll return to that way of playing this season after last season where they really were offensive-oriented team. All right, we're going to take another quick break. Here's another one from Earth, Wind, and Fire, who actually have a concert this week in New York City at Beacon Theater. And then we'll come back and wrap up today's show.
And we're back here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Don't forget you can tweet at me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. You can also send me an email, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. And don't forget you can also find more stuff on Facebook at Dave's Football News. I just want to point out a few cool articles that I saw on Football Nation this morning. Uh, The Chicago Bears... Defense brought the noise. Cutler lowers the boom. I forgot to mention, I think, when I was talking about the Chicago Bears because I didn't really cover Sunday night's game. I just talked about the Bears and Steelers individually. Uh, Jake Cutler, huge play with him scrambling on third and ten and picked up the first down. It did not slide but lowered a shoulder and ran right into a Steeler defender. Uh, Caught him a little bit off guard because he didn't slide. And... uh, that was, I think, a that was a turning point. Steelers coming back in the game a little bit, uh, thought maybe they would make a comeback and and change their season around, winning the game. There were a couple instances where I thought the Steelers might change things around, including a, a fourth and goal play in the first quarter, that play, and then um, later on when the the Bears had a, a third third down and threw for the end zone, initially called not a catch. But then uh, ruled a touchdown catch. That sealed the win for the Bears and then kind of got ugly again from there. But this was a four-point game with about five minutes left. So it was a close contest for at least a little while. Um, But check out Travis David's article that I just just mentioned that talks about the Bears and Jay Cutler. That was a good piece. The Dolphins we talked about on this show – um, by David Levin, article entitled "Dolphins Beat the Falcons: Five Thing Five Things We Learned from the Game." Uh, David Levin also wrote an article about uh, the Colts: Five Things We Learned About Them Owning the San Francisco 49ers. Very strong words there. And then Michael Stewart, uh, always writing about the New York Giants, he writes about the mauling by the Carolina Panthers, 38. 38- Nothing. So uh, if you want more news about the games that we already talked about on this show, check out those articles. There's lots of other great stuff on Football Nation. And my favorite things, like I said, appear on Facebook at Dave's Football News. So you can check out that. That's all that we have for this week's show. Hope you enjoyed the games. Enjoy Monday Night Football if it's Monday. And enjoy week four coming up. And stay tuned for next next week's episode on Monday. But in the meantime... I'm going to go try and find some peace in my mind.